to you today. And if you want to follow it on your Bibles, it's page 1886. It's the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praised be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth with a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all, all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word. We thank you for these things that Peter wrote down. We pray that they would be helpful to us today. Pray that your Holy Spirit would help us make sense of them and that the distance between our heads and our hearts would not be so large. We pray that you help us. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Can I just add my welcome uh, to those who are visiting and to those who are regulars? Nice to see you all this morning. Uh, we're sort of preparing, I suppose, as the school holidays begin, and it'll be all sort of a bit jumbly, but we thought we'd have a crack at this book. Uh, we've been looking at, if you're just picking up a thread, you know, at Pentecost, we looked at, at what Peter offered, you know, what, what the life was that Peter offered, and then we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, how that life takes shape in different parts of our, our own relationships with one another, God and ourselves. And then we want to look forward to what it is to be God's people in, in, in the world, where, the, where we fit in. Uh, and, and there's quite a helpful sort of uh, little letter uh, in order to um, help us grasp what it is that lies ahead. But there's a question, isn't there, about if you were reading a book like this, there's a question about is it worth it? What will I get from it? What will happen? We, we should be asking questions every time we come to God's word because I'm sure it fits us, it, reads, it reaches us. 
But sometimes our, our, our attitude can be uh, a little uh, more confused, can't it? So I want to just uh, tell you a little story. Uh, there's a couple who went every year uh, to the local uh, county fair on their anniversary. It happened that it coincided. And there they saw rides in an open-top biplane. Can I have the picture, please, Jill? Not that one. That's it. That's the one. There they had rides in an open... They saw rides in an open-top aeroplane. And, and he said, let's. And she said, £100 is £100. So they didn't go. Year after year they went. Each time he would say, let's go, let's go, shall we? And she'd say, £100 is £100. Eventually, after many years of this fair, the pilot recognised them as they came over and he tried again to entreat her and he interrupted and said, I've seen you two come every year and go without flying. It seems like it's something you'd really like to do. I'll tell you what, if you promise never to speak a word about it, because if people find out I'll get into trouble, I'll take you up now for free. But if you, if you, if you say anything, you'll have to pay. I can't afford to let people have freebies. Just don't let anyone know. So they looked at each other and they got in the plane and up they went, carefully remembering not to say anything. The pilot took them sweeping up into the clouds, into the sky, into the vast expanse, looking over the world as they'd never seen it before. He looped the loop, he barreled rolled, he victory rolled, swept them across the skies. And as they were landing, the pilot said, well done, I was sure with all that excitement you were bound to say something. And he said, well, it was especially difficult when my wife fell out. <laughs> but 100 pounds is 100 pounds. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but there's a, less, there's a lesson there, I'm sure. There's a lesson there. I wonder if that, that's how life sometimes feels. The ride looks great, but I don't want to get on it. It looks too costly. I don't know if it will work out. Is there too much for me to lose? Is £100 really the thing that I want to hold on to most of all? And I want to ask that this morning, because if you're a Christian, you sometimes probably wonder what it was worth and what's going on around us. I mean, the world is, is, is different and we've been called to be different from the world and it's, uh, it can be difficult sometimes. And we have those sorts of questions. Sometimes we might wonder about the loop-the-loops and the barrel rolls that we're put through. And sometimes we wonder if the pilot really knows what he's doing. And that's the honest truth about walking with Jesus, isn't it? That the Christian life is still tricky. And it's not just about making it sound like hard work. I want it to be authentic. I want it to be real. We have a hope. And that's important. I wondered if um, God would be interested in the sorts of questions I've just asked. I wonder if God really minds if I have those questions. I wonder if God wonders sometimes, what is he on about? What does he think I'm really like? I wonder if he wonders about whether I'm more worried about the £100 being £100 and hold tightly, I'm holding on to it. I wonder if he knows if I can let go and trust him. For years, I went to a church that was absolutely definite that God was concerned for my holiness. My holiness. But they were not at all sure about God's concern for my happiness. Was God interested? Absolutely. The Bible speaks definitively about holiness. But was it concerned about my happiness? And I think that's an important question. 
there were some people who you would say to me as a young man, the Bible doesn't promise that you will be happy. I thought those people were baptized in vinegar. Think about it for a moment. Because it's very hard. We are authentic, real people. We have feelings, we have emotions, we go through stuff. And if there's anything to learn about following Jesus is that he knows about that. He knows about those things. And we bring ourselves into a relationship with a God who says, I get it. I understand. That's the great thing. That's why we can talk about holiness and happiness. We can talk about there's something going on here that's bigger. And I think sometimes we confuse holy with perfect. And I think sometimes we confuse happy with easy. And I think those are two really big problems that if we don't get them in our heads, we'll, un- we'll, we'll seek to trip us up and, and, and cause us to forget the stuff that we're actually living in and going through. And for the people around us too. If we want to be real to people around us, then we need to understand that life can do this sort of stuff to people. So let's just have a little look at these, this letter. I want to just give you a little bit of orienting information and then uh, let's crack on with just two very simple points. Um, people is writing to, uh, Peter is writing to a group of people, if you look in verse 1, some of whom were mentioned in his speech in Jerusalem at Pentecost. You see that list? Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I've, I've handily found a map, thank you, in Jerusalem. Uh, and um, it's a rough idea of the different trade routes that the people who were in Jerusalem had come from. And look there, you see those, those churches there on the left-hand side? Those are the ones that we've been reading about in Revelation in the evenings. So it's a really big uh, part of the world uh, that he's talking about. We'd call it Turkey today. Uh, and it's quite important. But he also calls them um, his elect, God's elect. Did you see that? To God's elect. That's a really big title. That's a really big thing to take on board that God had called them. God had chosen to make himself known to them. God had said, you know what? Here I am. Why don't you follow me? God has chosen to make himself available to them so that they would know his goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness, all that fruit of the Spirit that we wanted to really take on board, to inhabit this world now and to inherit the kingdom that's coming, in, I think, in two Sunday evenings' time when we finally finish Revelation. But there is a far-off country where we will one day go home. That's our inheritance, to be with God. That was his promise. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what he's looking for. That's what his kingdom describes. That's what Jesus promised. It's what we want. So he's called them and the people that Peter is writing to have said, yes, this is what we want. We want to identify with this person, Jesus. We want to follow the God he called Father. And they do so. We, we, we walk into that relationship when we answer that call and say, you know what, God, I've made a mess so far. But thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin, to take the blame for everything that I've ever done and ever will do. Thank you for sending him. Would you, would you live in me by your Holy Spirit? Because I need your life in me better and more and more every day. And that is the simplest prayer. And it's a prayer that we want to take on and live with.
but it, sh- it changes us. The minute we answer that prayer, the minute we say to God, yes, then we find ourselves to be these strangers in the world. See that phrase there? Strangers he uses. Um, it's a, it's a, an odd word. It's a word that Abraham used to describe himself, alien in a foreign country. I belong to the world, but this isn't truly my home. We, thought, we, we sort of might think refugees. Jill, can I, have that, can I have that next slide? Thanks. We might be thinking refugees. One more. That's, that's our image about refugees and strangers. But the word is sojourners, part of stay, who embed themselves, who make the world around them part of, of their life, who, who interact and, 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 and are part of the community that they're in. Peter describes them like that. Sojourners. This isn't your true home, but this is where you live right now. And that's important. So there's no, the other thing about this little letter is there's no sense of forced exile. Peter's not writing to a group of people who've been thrown out of Rome in persecution. That's to come. But it was Nero who executed Peter by tradition, and Peter wrote this letter, so we're not there yet. So it's important to just hold on to that. Peter is writing to a group of believers in a world that doesn't feel like the one that Jesus talked about. Hands up if that's your daily experience. More than just me, thank thank goodness. And if we enter into that relationship with God, then that should be how things are. It's not a bad thing. It's not a terrible thing. It's just how it is. We are strangers, sojourners, I love that word, in and a foreign world. And I think it's important to hold on to that. Well, let's see how this helps us then. Let's talk about uh, what Peter promises. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And he talks about hope. And he's talking about hope in terms of holiness, which is that here. Call on God, on us, to be his people so that we will be called to be his. Holiness is about set aside so that I can, they can be mine. And that's important. Let's have a look at a couple of things that he's uh, writing about there. He talks about uh, the Father. He talks about the Son. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. We talk about praise be to the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that fantastic? And he knows what is happening. Look at verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he, we, we are in a relationship who know, with someone who knows what lies ahead for us. How many of you, when, if, you, if you had to get your children ready for their first day at school, how many, if you can think, you know, how many of us sort of made as much preparation as we could? We know the things that are likely to come. We know the things that are going to happen. We don't just leave them to it. We offer advice. We offer comfort. We offer consolation. We may offer a lift home. But we're preparing them. If a God knows what's ahead of us, we have a God who is preparing us to face these things. We also see uh, that his voice is important to us. We have a God who we can call Father. Romans talks about being able to say, Abba, Father, because God inhabits us by his spirit, we can call him Father when we speak to him. There is a relationship, and that voice speaking into our lives is so important. 
I've just picked up a book called The Chimp Paradox. Quite interesting book uh, about helping sort of coaching and mentoring and stuff like that. Very interesting, but it identifies lots of different voices that speak into our lives. This is a psychologist, but, but they're, they're, they're looking at it from a point of view as actually, you know, there are, there are strong voices in our lives. They come from different places, and so he's given them different names. The chimp, the computer, the gremlin, the goblin. They're all things that come in. They're just his names for the sorts of doubts and fears that we live with on a daily basis that we allow to speak in. What Peter says here is we have a father who knows what's facing us and wants to assure us and keep us. How does he do that? Well, we read that he has the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And his job, the Holy Spirit's job, is to transform us to Christ-likeness, to change us more to Christ's character every day, every situation, every moment when we're saying, I can't try this. God says, we can, if you listen to me. Why not try this? Why not try that? And he's there, that presence of God never abandons us, doesn't want us to fail, and encourages us to go a bit further than we think we might be able to go on our own. That's why the fruit of the Spirit's important. A little kinder, a little more patient, a little softer, a little gentler. Because that's how God treats and deals with us. And when he reveals those things in us, it's easier to show them to other people. Isn't that good news? bit more understanding than we thought. And then we see that Christ himself is also there. He calls us to obedience. Now, this is really important. Peter is writing a letter, as, and he calls himself apostle. He is somebody who knew Jesus Christ really well. He is somebody who let Jesus Christ down really badly. He is somebody who knows God's um, forgiveness in Jesus Christ really deeply. And he's writing this from experience. And he said, Jesus calls us to obedience. He doesn't write it from a place of fear. He writes it from a place of encouragement. And look, he uses this strange phrase, sprinkling by his blood. Isn't that interesting? We talk about being saved by the blood of Jesus. We don't really talk about being to the world by the blood of Jesus. And it seems to come from an Old Testament reference to the ways in which you're not going to like this, Lepers, that's you and me, lepers were washed with blood to enable them to enter God's presence. And it's the ongoing sprinkling. And the figurative image, the image, if you like, is of the little mess-ups we make. We've already been sanctified, we've already been saved, but this is the the ongoing sprinkling of God's washing of the mess-ups we make without even thinking about it. Isn't that good? God is encouraging us. Somebody nodded. Thank you. Well done. This is good. God's call on us to bring us home. He's equipping us in every way. That is, that is the hope that we live in. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, then this is about being drawn in, being led by somebody. I mean, Jesus knew every difficulty that we, we face. Every difficulty that we face, Jesus knows about. And most of them he's experienced himself. We have a God who knows what it is. And that's important. He calls us to obedience. You know what happens if we don't um, understand like that? That God is, is with 
focus on washing us as we go. We have a life where we try to get it right all the time. Somebody in our congregation, I will not name them, said, I have to be right all the time, I'm a woman. I'm not going to name them. That would be a terrible thing to do. But think about that. If your life was, I have to be right all the time, who's right all the time? See, no hands went up. No hands went up. So God has called us into a relationship where he's not going to give up on us when we mess it up. And some of us feel that we'll lose it, like the 100 quid in the aeroplane, if we don't, if we, if we don't get it right all the time. And what we have here is Peter's offer of a relationship with a God who is already sprinkling us with the forgiveness for the stuff we get wrong. Isn't that wonderful? That is, a, that, 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 is, that is a great joy and that is a great hope. It means this prayer, can we have the next prayer please, uh, Jill? That's it, this prayer. Who said this prayer? Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish or overindulgent and I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. That's the prayer. God, I need your help, but I'm asking you with confidence because my hope is that these things are true. My hope is that you're good for your relationship, that you've, you've set these things aside for me. You've, 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 made, you've called me into a relationship where you will do these things for me. And I think that's wonderful. And we should take great encouragement from that. And instead of the need to be all right, all right all the time, actually God, he wants to see us just walking towards him. Walk with me. Walk before me, he says to Abraham, and be holy. Walk before me and know that you have been set apart by me for my pleasure, that I rejoice in seeing you. And that's important. We don't need to carry yesterday's mistakes into tomorrow. We can walk knowing that he is with us. He doesn't give up on us, and he deals with the things that we are, we are dealing with. So God is preparing us for holiness, which is a great hope, and he doesn't expect us to be perfect, just to be set aside for him, to say, I want to be like you. But what about happiness? Well, this letter from Peter, uh, from Peter speaks about joy in three ways that go beyond the kind of happiness that I think the world talks about. There's, there's three going on here. We've got the, the joy of the future inheritance, the salvation and reward. Do you see that? You're receiving, it culminates in verse 9. You're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation made your souls. But he starts in verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. What a lovely thought. And that's important, actually. If we know that there is something worth inheriting, worth waiting for, it changes our behavior. Did you know that? If we're the kind of people who just want to kind of quickly fill our lives with the, with the, the immediate sorts of um, things that will satisfy us, we never understand or grow. We never understand, sort of develop to see the things that are far off. We just become people who are always looking for the next thing. But God is, Peter is writing here about this, this inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. And that's something to hold on to and not to be spoiled by our, our need for immediate satisfaction. 
It was Heather's, um, our daughter's Heather's graduation last week. And, and I was very interested to note that the, the speeches were excellent and really, really good and really encouraging and, and a really good opportunity and, uh, to, for the students to sort of recognise their efforts and what had happened and all the things they had done. But the emphasis kind of kept on going about you will be happy in life when you are successful in work. I'm not sure that's true. Are you? I think when, those of you who have stopped working full time and are now way newer than ever will know that you probably lose a lot of your identity when you lose your work. What do you replace it with? Work isn't the answer to everything. Success isn't the answer to everything. Work can actually be, for some people, really difficult. Um, so I suspect, while I suspect that there is some work to do in heaven, I don't think it's the kind of work we think about. I think what's, what's awaiting for us is, is a richer, deeper thing that won't trip us up. It won't cause the kinds of stresses and difficulties that we normally face. So it's important to, to hold on to that thought that there is an inheritance that's worth holding on for. And sometimes it's easy to just say, this will do for now. But actually, there's an inheritance way off. Peter also writes about joy in suffering. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. That thought of a future that's better than the one we're in is helpful when you're in difficulty. Uh, the, old youth part, the old youth minister for the diocese had this lovely line. The edge of the rut you are in, got it, is not the horizon. Yeah? The edge of the rut you are in is not the horizon. It's what you're going through right now, but it's not the end of the story. And I think that's helpful too. There is an opportunity to be actually to learn about ourselves, learn more about God's faithfulness, see him do stuff with us that we didn't expect him to, and actually come out of it better shape. And if we take that approach, we find that God is faithful, and we can rejoice that actually we've got this God who's carried me through this. That's the important thing. That suffering, which is only for some and maybe for a while, because we're not in a period of persecution here, is just part of life. It's part of the difficulties and the stresses that we face. Every day we face situations, customers, colleagues. Some of us are facing the summer holidays with the children off. What do we do? Some of us are going to be doing that and balancing work. You know, those, that in itself can be like quite stressful. And some of you have got bigger stresses than that, I know. How will we face them if we're not asking to see, asking God, what are you going to, what are you going to make of this? Where's it going to go? What can you do with me through this? So that's important too. That we hold on to that joy. And then there's this inexpressible joy. Can I have the next slide, please? Sorry, that's, that's, that's life sometimes, isn't it? I just need a hand. I just need a hand, God. It's a bit messy at the moment. Stuff's crowding in around me. I don't know what to do. I won't read any out, but a few weeks ago, Richard had a, um, we had an all-age service where people put little prayer T-shirts up on the, on the washing line. This is only a few of them, and I'm not going to read them out. But in the privacy of my study, I've prayed through every single one for you. I just want you to know God's grace and his care for you. I don't know what your situations are, but based on this, stress, anxiety lack of confidence, 
overbearing work colleagues, an inability to, uh, to, uh, to deal with things as well as we could, a desire to be kinder, more patient. That's just me, by the way. <laughs> That's just me. I'm not reading them out. But those are things. I want, I want God to shape my life. We want God to shape our lives in a world that well, doesn't get us anymore. And then there's this joy inexpressible. I thought, how am I going to talk about that? The, um, the weekend that I was um, ordained, I was, I was trapped in the bishop's palace on a silent retreat. They wouldn't let us out because they only would go to the pub. So we were told to go on a silent, have a quiet afternoon's reading. And I picked up a book, and it's not a particularly heavy book, but I thought if I'm reading a book, reading this, anyone who notices will think, yeah, he's holy. <laughs> so I start reading this book. It's quite a good book. It's still unfinished on my shelf, actually. And in it, he makes, the writer just makes this really simple statement. Have you ever thought that Jesus was quite a joyful bloke? And it stood out because it's an American writer, and they don't use the word bloke very often. But there you go. About that moment where I thought, yeah, Jesus could be quite a joyful person. About that moment, I started laughing. And I, started, I carried on laughing. So I thought, well, I'm in a silent retreat in a room here with lots of people trying to look serious and pious. So I left that room and went to the chapel thinking, there won't be anyone in the chapel. But there were. So I had to leave the chapel because I couldn't stop myself laughing. And I carried on laughing and until I went into the garden. People started to look at me, so I went to find myself. I went and hid in the bishop's palace garden, the other side. And for the next hour, I laughed. I couldn't help it. I couldn't understand what was being said. I couldn't understand why I was laughing. I couldn't. I know they were jokes. The really weird thing was, like, you thought my jokes were bad. Jesus is really good, but I can't translate them for you. It was as though he was telling me stuff that would make me laugh and my inner, the, the spirit in me was just rejoicing and laughing. And that's the relationship that's of us. That's the relationship that, that, that Jesus wants to have with us. If we let him in and say, here I am. I just want to know you. And he meets us at our point of need. He meets us as with the things that we, we, we might be desperate about, the things that might be absolutely pertinent right now, the thing that we surprises us, because that's what he wants to do. He wants to surprise us with the joy he has for us. But he's already excited that we've chosen to follow him. Peter's readers had entered a life of uh, a relationship with Jesus where they didn't know where it would end, they didn't know how it would go. But they entered a life with a God who had their holiness in his hands and was concerned for their happiness and well-being too, that they would know that there was a God who speaks into their lives, who knows what they're going through, and now and again might just surprise them by his presence. We are those people too. And we can be those people when we open up and we're honest with him. So I'm going to just do something that we occasionally do in the evenings just going to have a little three-part prayer, and I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to go through this. We've entered into a relationship with God in which he encourages us to call him Father. Jesus said that's how we're to pray, your Heavenly Father. So I'm going to give you a minute, just a minute. This is a three-part prayer. 
Father. Just close your eyes if you want to. Father, right now, I feel. We have the next slide. But I believe. Father, right now I feel. But I choose to believe. the final slide so I will Father right now I feel but I choose to believe so I will Can I just encourage you to make that your take home today? That I'm on a journey, God's concerned for my holiness, and I've got hope of happiness. Write that little prayer down, stick it on the fridge, the microwave, the TV, whichever you visit most, and hold on to it. And then another thing will come, and make that your journey with him. Being honest with God is brilliant. Because we find that he is loving, compassionate. He doesn't treat us as our sins uh, deserve. And he is closer than a friend or a brother. Father, thank you for this time. Pray that the words that people have spoken in their hearts be things that you hear and answer. Amen.